to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 19 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today, we are going to continue our copper newership series with Scott Walker. Now, for those of you that would rather get back to talking about innovative technology and training concepts, don't worry, there is plenty more of that coming on the show starting next episode, so stay tuned. Scott is a former federal agent and is currently a managing director at Sentinel Resource Group. He has a private group on LinkedIn where he helps cops who are looking to transition out of law enforcement and into the private security industry. Scott also has a video series on LinkedIn called How to Transition from Law Enforcement to Corporate Security, where he shares 10-minute videos giving advice on things such as how to prepare your resume to give you the best chance at landing a high-paying gig. Now, I have to apologize in advance because we had some technical difficulties at the beginning of this episode. About seven minutes in, I noticed that Scott's microphone wasn't working very well, and so we temporarily stopped recording to correct it. So the first seven minutes may be a bit hard on your ears. For that, I apologize. But if you stick through past the seven-minute mark, it'll be better for the rest of the show. All right, let's go ahead and get into the show. Hey, Scott, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on. I mean, we uh, we just connected recently and found that we had some things in common, namely a passion to help cops with their transition out of law enforcement to either areas of working in private security or especially what we want to talk about today is copreneurship. That's right. So what do you do and you know what's the problem that you solve yeah i've made a transition to the private sector from over 20 years in military and law enforcement and as i made that transition i was really arrogant and thought oh this is going to be the easiest retirement job ever and what i quickly found out uh, because i had good people that i was working with they educated me very quickly in that i didn't know what i was talking about so as I coming through that transition period and, and learning new things and, and getting over the arrogance of while I was a federal agent, I carried a gun all around the world and did criminal investigations. I found out that in the private sector, nobody cared. And all of the bona fides that I had as a federal agent didn't necessarily translate the way I thought it should translate into the private sector. And to my employer at that time, which was a company called NVIDIA, a technology company in Silicon Valley. And so as I learned that I needed to kind of relearn a bunch of skills and apply the good things that I learned from the government and the military and take the bad things and not apply those, I thought, boy, I, I got a ton of things to learn. The people that are coming behind me, those who are transitioning after I will, they're not necessarily going to be prepared for this. But I also found out that as I started working with different security leaders, physical security leaders around the United States, around the world, I found that a lot of them were making top dollar and they didn't have that military or law enforcement experience. And I saw companies that were in crisis. I mean, we've been experiencing this over the last year really, really tactically, right? We've had civil unrest, we've had political unrest, so on and so forth. And we've had a pandemic. And companies haven't been resilient. And so we've mm. seen them, them yeah. uh, fall apart, right? So what I've established is the people that can carry those companies into tomorrow are going to be those folks who have the experience, the training, who don't panic under fire. Well, those are guys like you and I, men and women who served in the military and who, who've been in law enforcement or public safety. They need to be the ones making the top dollar, making the decisions, but they don't have necessarily the requisite skills as far as knowledge and experience to do that. 
And so what I've been on a mission for for the last six years is to get them into understanding business, understanding that it's not about the body count anymore. How many arrests have you made that nobody cares about that in the private sector? You hang up your handcuffs. They're going to get rusty. You'll never use them again in the private sector. But your knowledge, your experience, your ability to be, have courage under very strenuous situations and circumstances is what we need in the private sector, what business is, is dying for. And I want to help people understand how to translate that. So if I could summarize what, what you said here, I mean, essentially, the problem is that there are cops who struggle to envision how they might transition out of law enforcement because in the law enforcement career, we, we train on skills that are very specific to the job and the task at hand. However, the one advantage that we have is that we have resilience and we're, we might be lacking business skills, but th the way that you're trying to solve that is to help people gain those business skills and be able to translate that, their, their experience as a law enforcement officer into the private sector. That's exactly right. Just like we take somebody who's a raw recruit coming right out of, out of uh, high school or out of college, and we mold them, him or her, into a law enforcement officer over a six-month, year, two-year period, that could be taught. Law enforcement can be taught. We all know that because we didn't come out of the womb being cops. We had to learn how to do that. And I think the same thing applies in business. Do I think you need to go get an MBA? Not necessarily. But I do think that there are education opportunities that you need to be open to and be aware that you're not going to know everything. I've talked with probably hundreds of people in transition from the military and law enforcement. And the things that I hear, and you and I have talked about this uh, in, in some of our recent calls and conversations, but we see resumes uh, and we hear from people who are transitioning or want to transition. And they'll ask me things like, hey, uh, so do you need a gunfighter in corporate security? And I say, I'm horrified. No, we don't need a gunfighter. Unless you're going to go work for Blackwater or you're going to go work in austere uh, environments. But in Silicon Valley, we don't need that. What I need is somebody who can be adaptive, treat the customer better than they treat themselves, work with a team, be innovative, think outside of the box, not be chained to a form or a format. And those are the kinds of strengths that I, I'm looking for as a hiring manager. But a lot of our law enforcement partners don't have that understanding right off as they're transitioning. And sometimes they think about transition when it's too late, when they're already leaving the, their law enforcement. And so that's my sense of urgency here and why I want to communicate with you and your audience and bring as, as much knowledge as possible to the fact that you are needed. People want you here. I want you here. And you can do it. You can have a positive impact in how a business survives in a very tumultuous last year and years to come. Yeah, you know, Scott, I've said it a dozen times already on this show and talking with other people that have come on that law enforcement just has the broadest skill set of any career that I know. I mean, the a number of things that we're expected to be experts at is far beyond anything that I've seen in any other career. That's absolutely right. I, I uh, make the analogy of the jack of all trades, right? And I totally agree with you because of the broad base that our folks come from and where they go and what they do. They're doing amazing things. The majority of the, the law enforcement agents that I've worked with over time, I've worked with some that were full doctors. Like they were a doctor. And then they went to the academy and became a special agent. Where do you have that else in society? And when you have folks like that from kind of all spectrums to people like myself, barely graduated from high school, not embarrassed to say that because I went on and, and got my degree, took me 18 years and I had a 4.0 GPA, but you get a very broad spectrum of people. And when you bring all that together and you mash that together, different ideas come out. Uh, that's that's what makes, uh, I think, law enforcement in the United States anyways, really the cutting edge. Yeah. Now, I want to touch on something you, you said earlier, too, about the need to have an MBA, 
right? In order to start your own business or work in, in corporate America. And, and I want to argue because I think that that is a unfortunate misconception. And I don't want to discourage anybody from doing that, but I want to give a little bit of a paradigm shift here because I personally, as a copreneur myself and somebody who helps other business owners, I don't think it's necessary. And I'll, I'll give a little bit of a shameless plug here that as a certified story brand guide myself, I've got to tell you guys about the Business Made Simple book that just came out day before yesterday by Donald Miller, the founder of StoryBrand. And the Business Made Simple book is essentially an MBA in 60 days. You go through, you read this book, and it's almost like it it works out kind of like a devotional where each day there is a new section that you read through and it gives you tasks to complete to implement in your business. And there's videos in addition to that you can go check out. And so I want to encourage people to check that out because you really don't have to have an MBA. And the cool thing about being a certified story brand guide is that anybody that reads that book, I can help coach you through it. And it just so happens I actually have a box of 25 of those books sitting here. And so I would just say for the first five people that are listening to the show that send me an email at adam at psi.chat with the subject line of BMS book, I will give you one for free. Just give me your address and send me your shipping information. I'll I'll send you a copy of the book for free. So anyway, I, I just don't, I don't think it's necessary. I'm not saying that it's not the right move for some people to get an MBA, but I don't think it's necessary for anybody. And it shouldn't be a barrier to any cop out there that wants to start their own business and feels like they have that entrepreneurial spirit inside of them. Just go out, take command of it, get after it and, you know, bootstrap the the heck out of it to start with and start learning how business operates and you'll, you'll get there. I agree, Adam. And I think humbly, you know, having never uh, been to MBA school, of course, but what I hear from people who have been to B school, the things that you're learning and, and that they're teaching you are good foundations that many of us in, in public safety or in, in uh, the military already have. Like, how do you work cross-functionally in a team? Well, that's yeah. military and law enforcement 101. How do cops work with firefighters? We have that. We have ICS, right? It's ingrained into every, every fiber of our being from the academy on. So the MBA program, while be it is maybe good for, for certain folks, I agree with you. I think the majority of what you need to either, and again, humbly not being an entrepreneur, but working with entrepreneurs and understanding the corporate structure, those are things that you can learn on your own time. The MBA is kind of a checkbox. It gives you that piece of paper that you can hang on your wall that you can impress other people with if they are impressed by that. And it checks the box for an organization to say, yeah, you may know what you're talking about as far as business goes. You, it, It's an easy translation. However, the way education is going and the way society is going in the future Spending that kind of money, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on a piece of paper is the way of the past, the way of the future, the way things are going in the future, especially for entrepreneurs is if you want to be an entrepreneur, just go, go do it. Don't yeah. call yourself an entrepreneur. Don't say, don't, you know, have the cool flag and take pictures in front of Lamborghinis unless you own the Lamborghini because <laughs> you need to achieve something right? As an entrepreneur, but there's no barrier to entry. And the book that you decided, there are other books and other people that we can follow on social media and other ways that will give us the foundation that we need to understand. And really how I break it down to people who I talk about in transition from, from law enforcement to corporate security is they need to understand that a business is there to make money, provide a service, to enhance its shareholders, make goods, whatever the business is there to exist. It's not there to arrest bad guys or to fire employees or to keep people from meeting with each other or keep people out of a building. We have to be collaborative. We have to understand that there's a collaborative process that takes place in business. 
And if we can understand that, just that, and that the business doesn't exist because it's not a criminal justice business or it's not a security business, it exists to make money and to provide great goods and services to folks all around the world. And the global economy is the best thing that we could hope for right now because it exports and imports goodness. When I say that, and the reason why this is all really in, intertwined in my mind into how do you go from law enforcement into the private sector, whether that be to start your own business or to uh, support a business, the reason why this is important is because all the conflict that we have around the world, much of it is settled because we are freely trading with each other. You think about our best trade partners as, as Americans, we don't fight with them. Why? Why are we not spilling blood in the streets of France or, or the UK or Australia <laughs> or, or even Japan anymore? Because we trade with them. That's good. That's healthy. We need to outreach and this is going to, this is happening as we speak. We need greater outreach to Africa and South America and Central America. We need to help them build their manufacturing base to, to push down corruption and to bring up the individual worker. That's all good things. And law enforcement officers, the reason why I'm making this analogy is because y'all don't know it better than anybody. You've lived it for your whole career. You've lived oppression and you've lived what jobs can do or the lack of jobs can do to a piece of society which you patrol or that you enforce law in. We just need to open our minds a little bit more to the global economy and understand that you can be a positive influence. You don't have to go out there and take advantage of anybody and you can have a positive influence in shaping a piece of Africa, a piece of Texas, a piece of South Korea. This is all going to be how we're going to do business here in the future. And we need people who understand how to work in a crisis or when there's when there's a hurricane, the cops don't leave the community. <laughs> they stay there, right? right? The same philosophy happens with business. We have to understand how to be resilient. The only way to understand how to be resilient is bring people who understand resiliency into the private sector, into entrepreneurship or copperpreneurship. Absolutely. What is your what does your platform, if you will, look like for how you're helping cops transition out of law enforcement? I know you've got a podcast of sorts that you put out on LinkedIn. Yeah. What else does that look like? We're doing like a phased approach. We want people to understand what the process looks like. And I have received a lot of questions about like, I don't even know what is in the private sector. And I would accept that conversation as being valid if it was 1980, but it's 2021. <laughs> We're in a brand new decade and you have YouTube, you have social media, you have the ability to network with people around the world. Look at you and I, you know, we're in two different states. And so the ability to communicate has never been better. You know, I understand a lot of our law enforcement partners have a visceral reaction against social media. And I understand that, but there are certain, included. yes, we've talked about that. We have, there are certain <laughs> social medias that, that organizations that are more positive and less toxic than others. Facebook, um, you know, LinkedIn <laughs> is a great networking platform. And yes. so I start from the point of education and the education is, do you understand business and do you understand industry? And what I have found is that most of the time they do. They understand the generalities around like I get I get it. Amazon takes stuff from China and sells stuff to Americans, right? That's like their basic understanding. Or Walmart sells toothpaste and toilet paper. Okay, okay, that's you know not exactly where I'm what I'm trying to get them to understand, but more globally, how does a global economy work? Because if we can start from a global economy, there's so much more available to them. And, and to your point about entrepreneurship, I don't always want people to just come from a structured life in law enforcement and then go into a structured life in a corporation. That doesn't work for everybody. 
the entrepreneurship is an avenue that they they should be exploring. And I think we've talked about this more and more. We're going to see people that are just wanting to, I want to build something on my own and have something that is mine that nobody else created. Nobody else gave to me. They want to build that. And I think those, those building blocks and getting them to understand what is the private sector? What is business? What does it exist to do? What are the different industries and where can you be successful doing those things? And then understanding this is how you transition. So we're working right now on, I've got a kind of a series going on resumes. What are these, these component parts in the resume? I've seen probably hundreds, if not thousands of resumes. And I see things, especially from my veteran partners who will say things like, I was a machine gunner in the Marine Corps. That'll be on their resume. And I'm like, okay, great. I understand. Like, I get it. I know what a machine gunner is. I think that's awesome. I appreciate All your right. service, but I'm not hiring machine gunners. I'm hiring <laughs> at that, you know, the ones I saw there, I was hiring for security professionals. So how do we get them to realize that their experience, you can use a different term to explain it and not dilute it at all. And that's where we're at right now is helping them to understand that there's got to be a translation that's made. Because when they get to the private sector and they get that job and they get that opportunity, they then have to communicate with other people in that opportunity. So when they get to a job, let's say they get hired by Toyota and they're at the Toyota plant, the security manager in Texas building Toyota Tacomas or whatever they build there. And somebody says, hey, uh, we don't want to require people to, to show their badge every time they come in the building. Well, how do you communicate that it's important to show their, their employee ID badge without saying, that's the rules, man. I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. That's not the right answer. We want them to have the ability and, and the language to express why there's a good business reason behind wanting to show your employee ID when you come in the building. So we got to work on, on their knowledge and their experience. And, and then how does that translate? And that's, that's the ultimate package. That's, and I think entrepreneurship's on there too. And love to hear your thoughts on that. Em. Yeah. I mean, I think now is the best time ever to be able to be an entrepreneur and just step out and put some faith into whatever that idea is, just laying a foundation for it, getting after it, making it happen. I mean, the online economy is just booming right now. And truthfully, the online economy has been there for a while, but it became more relevant this last year with COVID when everybody was locked down in quarantine. And all of a sudden, all these businesses from corporate America, all the way down to the mom and pop brick and mortar shop in your little town all realized overnight that I've got to be online. I need to have an online presence. I need to be able to ship my products and, and I need to be able to sell them online and I need to have people find me easily. And so overnight, it's like this awareness of the online economy just boomed. And so now, I mean, truthfully, like you said, there's just this opportunity to connect with people all over the world and do business. And so it's really a phenomenal opportunity right now. And I think what's what's important for me to bring out of that, it's, this is a good segue. As I've been talking more and more on this show about copernewership, and I feel like we're kind of doing a, a bit of a mini series now on copernewership, you know, there's been this thought in the back of my mind of, do people listen to the show and think I'm, I'm trying to pressure people to leave law enforcement? Like I want to see this mass exodus of good cops from law enforcement. And no, I, I absolutely don't. I mean, we, we have to have the thin blue line. That mm -hmm. is the only distinction between order and chaos. And we need good, we need great cops. Okay. And I'm not trying to encourage some sort of exodus from law enforcement. However, I know that the circumstances of this past year, and truthfully, if I'm being honest here, without getting into, you know, deep into politics, I feel like the writing's kind of been on the wall for the last several years of going down this path. And I'll say even since 2008, I feel like we've been going down this path of the American cop is kind of being villainized by our legislators. And 
the laws that are being passed, the legislative quarterbacking that's occurring around the country is making it really hard for cops to do their jobs. And in the midst of that, then we start talking about defunding when funding already is lacking and and salaries aren't great. It creates an environment where it makes it very difficult for cops to want to stay in it. And in fact, I feel like, you know, just looking at everything that's happened in this past year, if I was to go back 15, 16 years ago, when I first started my law enforcement career, if we were to take the circumstances of today and transplant it back to then, I'm not sure I would have gotten into law enforcement. And and I can only imagine how hard it is to recruit right now. But ultimately, I know that there are cops out there saying, you know what? I'm not comfortable with this right now. I'm not comfortable with the environment. Yes, I want to serve my community. Yes, I'm willing to go above and beyond. And yes, I'm willing to sacrifice my safety and my life for my community and to, to help people. But this environment that, that is currently occurring, maybe it's not the best place for some people. And they have these compound that with, I have an idea that I think would be great for business. And I just think there's a lot of cops out there right now that are looking for opportunities, that are looking for options. And I simply want to be a sounding board for that and and be able to help those cops that are looking for that opportunity and connect with amazing people like yourself and some of the others that we've had on the show to be a almost like an advisory board of sorts to be able to say, hey, I see you, I see your circumstances, and I want to help you. Well, my analogy is always, uh, I look to history to see what the future is going to tell us. And after World War II, World War II, we had millions of people who responded to and became veterans of the Second World War. After the Second World War, we had a huge boom in prosperity, right? We've had a, we've, and we've been writing that prosperity for decades. What came out of World War II was the U.S. government through the Veterans Affairs seeding tons of small businesses. And so they seeded these businesses. And these are businesses that you may have heard of, you may not have heard of. You've probably heard of Sam Walton and Walmart. That's a business that came out of this drive. You know, there there are tons of businesses that that came together because they were veterans in other businesses. And they would work with each other. Oh, this guy, I was uh, I was in the Air Force with this guy. He's a good Joe. We're going to work with him on this project. Or we're going to hire this company over here because we were in the Army together. That was the reality back then. And if I look at kind of in 10-year spurts, what has occurred over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, we had the Reagan era of law enforcement heavy on counter drug. And so they had a huge, massive hiring in the inner cities and in federal law enforcement in the 80s and early 90s. And those folks are getting ready to retire. So to your point about there's a changeover that is occurring in the 2020s, and it will be occurring for a while, because not only do you have what I'll call Reagan era era law enforcement veterans who are very senior, have many, many decades on, 40 years on, and are looking just to retire and, and go do something else. You also have folks who were 9-11 era veterans who have been hired over the last, to your point, 16 to 20 years and are just, they're tired of it because not only have they been through the 9-11 terrorism stuff, I'm, I remember chasing what I called felony photographers around because they took a picture of a bridge. You know, I was on the Joint Terrorism Task Force with the FBI, and we got mm-hmm. tons of calls because somebody t- took a picture of a bridge. So I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing those kind of silly things. I know what it's like to then go into the Occupy Wall Street times and the, the Seattle WTO riots, and we did a lot of things there. And what has come up and, and progressed to what happened last year with the riots and what happened in the Capitol literally this month. So. You've got all these these law enforcement officers who are just like who have the twenty years on are in that bubble that are going. I could go at any time. Is there something else out there that I could do? Historically, people stayed in government or stayed in law enforcement for a career or more 
because the retirement is great, they could find kind of towards the end of their career, they probably could find a relatively cushy job where they're not pushing a patrol car. Now, the way we do, I'll say municipal law enforcement is so physical. I'm in my late forties and I am in awe at these guys will get out there and they'll go be hard chargers and they'll push that, that sled around their community for 12 hours, 14 hours a day. And that's just not something that your body was built to handle for 20 years. So now we're going to have yeah. all these people that are coming out of it. But not only that, because you made that reference to, hey, uh, how do we hire for this new generation of cops, right? Because we're hiring now people that were born in the 90s and the, the early 2000s. They're of age or the becoming of age to enter law enforcement. And they see the world differently. Talking to my kids yes, about this. Do. I have millennial age kids. Hey, uh, you guys remember playing with the VHS tape and the VHS machine, watching you know Little Mermaid or something? And they nope. are like, "What are you even talking <laughs> about, Dad?" I remember yeah. YouTube and Miley Cyrus. You know, like that's their their reality is they've had the informa- information at their fingertips. And now we fa- we fast forward from the two thousands when all of a sudden there was this thing called the internet, early two thousands, late nineties, and it became a consumer good. And now we have social media in the, in the mid 2000s. And I'm going to make the analogy that something crazy happened in the economy in the, in the mid 2000s when the economy dropped and, and because of all the overinflated home loans. And they lived through that. And then we had terrorism and we had kind of craziness through the 2010s now through this whole time. And we've had social media, <coughs> Facebook that has, and Twitter that have, ruined people wanting to be online and communicating in a thoughtful way. And that's who's spitting out the other end and going to the academy. That's who we're getting. We're getting people, these these youngsters, that maybe they remember 9-11, maybe they don't, but they were probably born around that time. And they remember, mm-hmm. but they remember when mommy and daddy lost their home in the mid-2000s. And they remember when they had to pay 50, 60, 70, 80,000 or 110,000 dollars to go to college and what that looked like. They remember all these things and that's imprinting on their brains and they're going, now they want to go into public safety or public service. What does that look like? It's going to change the dynamic. I'm not saying good or bad because there's plenty of really good, hardworking millennials that, that believe in serving their communities and we want them to do that. But the folks from maybe you and I uh, kind of era, I got into law enforcement in the mid-90s. And I, the era that I was coming, that I experienced with people coming out of the Rodney King era. And that mentality was so foreign to me. And now imagine somebody who has who's come through the, all of those things and the, the riots in the early late 80s, early 90s, specifically in Los Angeles. And then they're, they're, they've come through September 11th and they've come through all these things in the 2010s and now they're getting ready to retire. So we, we don't have a really good way to hand this off because the generations are so different. So we're going to have tons of people just like we did in World War II that are going to be making the decision that they're going to self-select and, and enter the private sector in some way or another, either through their own business or through somebody else's business which is fine. I want them to be aware and be resilient and be uh, have knowledge about what's the goal here. And by the way, we should have started with this, but don't go it alone. You're not alone. Just like you said, advisory board, you and I, Adam, are here for people and we want to help them be successful in their transition, but they can't do it in a vacuum or in an echo chamber. When they're just talking to themselves or, or people that don't understand them, you know, you go find, I've got a, I've got this guru that I'm working with, or I got a mentor that I'm working with, but if they were never kind of in our shoes in military or law enforcement, they've never heard a shot fired in anger. They don't necessarily know about you and what your goals are, or even what your barriers are that are hidden under the surface. What I tell, tell a lot of the people I talk about transition about is fix you first and then you can transition or then you can go on to the next thing. But if you aren't fixing you, we all have PTS. <laughs> we all have, I don't consider it a disorder. I consider 
post-traumatic stress to be a real thing that we have all experienced and we all carry that with us. We need to fix that first and then we can be successful in other things or start working on that, work on yourself and do that. And it's not something you just fix overnight. I know that, but it's something that we need to be thoughtfully engaging on because if we can't even do that, we're going to have a real hard time when the bank says, no, we're not giving you the loan or your customer says, I'm not paying you. Those are all really excellent points. And I agree with you. I think my personal opinion is that every cop has some underlying PTSD. And I I don't mean that to be like, hey, the sky is falling and we're all screwed up. Right. But I didn't realize until after I left law enforcement and as I was transitioning out and just trying to be a civilian, that was when it all kind of fell down on me. And I'm like, whoa what is this? Like, what, what's going on here? I, I've, I've got more trauma wrapped up here than what I ever realized I had. Because I think in the midst of being a cop, we just learn how to push that down, drive on, deal with it, accept it. Right. Like we, we can look, we can look at a dead body and go to a scene and just be like, Oh, well, that's another one. That's today's dead body. That's right. And, and we, we can have a dark sense of humor about it. And that's part of how we, we cope and, and get on. And those things don't really affect us at all because we're in the middle of it. That's our environment. That's just what we have to deal with. And we learn to accept it. But then after that day-to-day hardening isn't there anymore, you kind of go, huh, I'm dealing with a little bit more than I realized I was dealing with. So I think that that is, that is absolutely a thing. And in fact, one of the things I mentioned a couple episodes ago is that uh, we are going to be doing a mental health series on the show here. I've got a really awesome guest lined up. It's not going to be boring. She's phenomenal. It's going to be fun. She's straightforward, blunt to the point. She probably drops more F-bombs than most guys (laughs) I know. And all she does is deal with male combat veterans and cops. And she knows her stuff and really looking forward to having her on. So we're going to talk about that stuff more in depth. But it sure does play a factor in that transition out of law enforcement and how you you know move on to other things. Because quite frankly, as I was dealing with some of those things, the biggest thing I struggled with wasn't like trauma from being on certain scenes or dealing with certain events or, you know, those sort of things, the things you'd expect. I think the bulk of the trauma I had was the mindset that I had to have for 15 years, the constant sense of hyper awareness and almost a little bit of a tinge of paranoia. And, you know, looking at everybody that I met with skepticism and, you know, that whole saying of, I'm probably going to butcher it and get it wrong, but anybody that's heard it will understand what I'm getting after here. It's that have a plan to kill every person you meet. Right. Um, And that kind of just messes with a guy after you're not in that, that situation anymore. And it caused me to struggle with how to start my business because my immediate feeling was I don't have the same feeling like I was doing something noble and good just wasn't there for me initially. And I get the enjoyment of helping other people grow their businesses and become successful and take care of their families and support awesome, you know, nonprofit organizations. And those things are good, but it wasn't the same as I get to put on a uniform every day and I get to go out and show up when somebody's at their worst, when they just got beat by their husband or whatever the circumstances may be. And so I struggled with that at first. Here we are with chapter seven of the Marketing Minute, tips to help you start your own business post-law enforcement or grow your existing business. We are continuing in our series, the seven critical elements of an effective story-based marketing strategy. Last chapter, we talked about how important it is for you to let your customers know that there is failure at stake if they don't buy your product. Even more important yet is, that's right, you guessed it, success. Every human being is wired with an aspirational identity. We all want to be a better person tomorrow than we are today. We are motivated to buy products and services to achieve that end. Where are you taking your customer? Is it towards financial peace, business growth and success? 
the ability to live a certain lifestyle, subconsciously, every customer is wanting to ask you where you can take them. You have to paint a picture of what is on the other side of your call to action. Otherwise, your customer has no reason to be motivated to follow you on the journey. Never assume people understand how your brand can change their lives. Tell them. That's it for Chapter 7 of the Marketing Minute. Head over to psi.chat forward slash marketing minute to check out every episode. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's a, for me, it's a reimagining of playing your best game. Because as we have to be in law enforcement, we carry a gun for a reason. Uh, because you, to your point, you show up on, on somebody's worst day. And my belief is that because of the things that we've been through in our training and our experience, that has prepared us well for combative or tough situations. And so when we stop receiving those daily calls for service for those tough situations, there's a bit of a vacuum. I'm like, okay, wait, I'm supposed to be playing in the Super Bowl and I'm not. What's going on? I'm supposed to be playing at the top, what they, what you believe initially is the top of your game. And what you have, what I think, or what I've had to do to your point is I've had to re-envision, okay, what is my top, my best game? How can I be my best self? I don't think I've changed that much from when I was a federal agent. I think I'm still as aggressive. I, I'm hope, hopefully smarter because I'm older, but I, I try to re-envision. The, my best game is not that I'm going to go catch Al Qaeda terrorists or go arrest a, uh, a sexual assault suspect and convict them. Those aren't my my bearings anymore. Those aren't that's not those aren't my goals necessarily anymore. My goal now in current time is to provide great advice to my clients. And, and I consider the people that I work with in transition clients, as well as the people I work with in my practices as a investigator and a risk consultant. So I'm going to provide you the best advice that I can that identifies all hazards and all risks and give you as much information as I, as I can as efficiently as possible so that you can go out there and I'm empowering you to do your best work. Whether that's somebody who's in transition, I'm empowering them through knowledge, sharing my knowledge about business and, and where I think they would fit in really well and, and how they should proceed. Similarly with my clients, my clients in business, I want to help you understand the risk of, let's say, going to do business in China uh, and what that entails or doing a supply chain security audit or investigating a, a, an incident of workplace harassment. Whatever the issue is, I'm going to give you the best advice that I can so that you can, you're empowered now to go make a decision. And so th- that's my Super Bowl now. And that's the, the shift that I had to make so that I could understand that my, I'm still valued and I'm still doing important work. Because that's the belief. When you go into the private sector, it's not important. Who cares? It's very important. We've seen how important it is. You see that yeah, hundreds, if not thousands of businesses that fall apart because of the pandemic. We need resilience. And that really plays back to what you were saying earlier about making sure that you connect with people to help advise you along the way. Because I, I can tell you that early on in my business, I mean, right now I, I'm part of different mastermind groups and I have mentors and other people that that help guide my decisions and and how I grow my own business and how I help my clients. But early on, when I was just trying to figure this thing out on my own, I made a lot of stupid mistakes that I don't think I would have made had I had somebody else to tell me, hey, that's really stupid. Don't do that. It's not going to work. Right. And so if I can resound what you said, I think is one of the biggest golden nuggets of advice that has probably come out here today is if you're going to start a business, you're going to transition to do this thing, find somebody that can be a mentor to you to tell you when you're doing something that's dumb <laughs> because yes. it'll save you so much heartache and headache. 
I, and I think, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, a lot of us coming from law enforcement don't like to ask for help. Like, I, I got it. I'm going to chase the suspect on foot for the next two blocks. I don't need your help, you know, kind of mentality. And I think, as you know, I, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to know something. But the only way you're going to learn how to how to be successful and whatever and define whatever success is for, for the individual, the only way you're going to learn that is through communication. And the, the mastermind groups are great because they can tell you really quickly if you're going down the wrong path or if you need to pivot. Similarly to if you're going through a door chasing a suspect and you didn't clear a corner, somebody's going to go, hey, stupid. You know, button hook better oh, or cross better, that's you a, know, like use your life. That's a phenomenal <laughs> analogy. I love that analogy. I, I wish I had thought of that and I'm probably going to steal you it from use you. It. Um, yes, use it. <laughs> but that's, that's a, I mean, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's uh, leaving law enforcement, going into business without finding a mentor. It's, it's like running into a building without, without checking your corners. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly yeah. what it is. And and have more Phenomenal than one. Stuff. That's okay. It's okay to have more than one. Per- when I got the call for, to go into the private sector, I called a couple of different people. One of them is uh, the guy who was in charge of uh, security for Lucasfilm when, before it was purchased by Disney. And I called him. I said, hey, man, this is what's happening. What do I do? And he had, he had a law enforcement background. And he talked me through it. And he, he pointed out all the tripwires that I was completely blind to. And, and if you indulge me for a minute, I'll just tell you a quick story. Yeah. So as I was transitioning, I'm talking to the recruiter and the recruiter is the one who gets you into the company. And he says, this is your salary. And I thought, that's great. This is a lot more than what I was making in the public sector. And he said, but um, these are the only amount of RSUs that I could give you. This is our standard package. I can't get you any more RSUs. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, great benefits package, great pay package, but what's an RSU? I didn't know. I had no idea. It's a restricted stock unit. It's stock. This company wow. stock and Silicon Valley, a lot of the companies will give you stock and the stock sits in the portfolio and it vests over time, which means you get it over time. And it's okay because I didn't either. But now I, ta- I get a chance to talk with our law enforcement partners, our military partners who are coming into the private sector. And I tell them that story. I had no idea what that meant. Well, when I uh, joined NVIDIA, the stock price was 13 or $14. And I don't even check anymore because it freaks me out, but I have a chunk of stock still from NVIDIA and it's up over $500. So the little investment in, in knowledge that you can make in communicating with somebody who's a mentor or who's a guide for you, or just somebody you want to bounce ideas off of because they've been where you were and they're going or they are where you are, you want to be talk to them. And I got the, Hey, stupid, ask for more RSUs. You know, if you're not engaged, you're going to leave money on the table. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more how, first of all, I guess your background as a federal officer, I mean, tell, tell me about that a bit and how did you ultimately come to the conclusion to transfer out of or transition out of law enforcement yourself? And what did that look like? Sure. Uh, the good thing about my law enforcement career is that I was uh, a civilian sworn special agent for the U.S. Coast Guard, which means so the, the Coast Guard and most branches of the military have civilian special agents and they have military special agents. We all do the same thing. But as I was first joining that organization, I was because I knew a lot of people in a lot of different industries, they would throw me into these task forces. And the first task force I was in was an intelligence task force. And this was right around September 11th. And that's back when everybody's from local, state, county, federal law enforcement, and the military started talking and sharing information about threats and persons of interest and all that stuff. And so that was thrown immediately into having to learn about the FBI and then learn about international law enforcement agencies and, and all this stuff, all the, the while being a reservist in the military. And as a reservist, I eventually went from the Coast Guard Reserve to the Air Force Reserve and became an Air Force Reserve Special Agent, was stationed all around the world, um, had a great reserve career, which I was deployed more with them, I think, than I was as a, a federal agent with the Coast Guard. But because of that dichotomy, I got to learn a lot about 
how different organizations operate. I was on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. I was on a border uh, enforcement task force that that worked in maritime uh, drug smuggling in Los Angeles. And so I got to learn how everybody else did it. And after about 10 years of doing that, I was like, wow, that 10 years went really fast. I should consider what my other options are. And so I met somebody through my, my college, uh, a college project and association. He was in the master's program. I was in the bachelor's program and we just kind of hit it off. And he was, uh, like me, former law enforcement and working in as a, uh, head of security for a high net worth bank in San Francisco. He eventually went to NVIDIA, was head of security for NVIDIA. And when he landed there, we started talking more and more and more about what's the private sector look like. And how, and I wanted to change things in the private sector. I had this idea and belief that they didn't do things right. And I inappropriately believed that I could go and change it. I could be the one. And he liked my motivation and he liked that I liked to learn. And um, he said, well, I have a, a, a senior manager role that's opening up. Why don't you apply for it? And I'm thinking at this time I was on the joint terrorism task force. I'm like, you know, what do they want with some, you know, counterterrorism investigator, but I'll put in for it. And of course I put the five, six page resume with every shooting uh, school I'd ever been to <laughs> and all the stupid things that we do right. in law enforcement that doesn't translate to the private sector. Yeah, that was me. I was that guy. <laughs> so <laughs> he says, uh, the only reason why I hired you was because I know you. If I would have seen your resume, I never would have hired you. He says that to this day. And the reason why I say that is because he's he's my boss. He ended up leaving, starting his own consulting co- practice. I joined him a couple of years later. I've been here for three years now as a consultant, loving it, love what we do because we touch all kinds of different stuff. And that's what I think my public sector work prepared me to do was to see things through different lenses. I can talk to the CEO of a company. I could talk to a high net worth person that uh, we're working investigations for. I can talk to um, just about any f- different function in a business because I've ha- I've had to do that. I've had to go talk to LAPD and the U.S. Attorney and then the District Attorney and the FBI, and I've I've had to bring them all together so we could all talk and we could get on the page with a common goal of of prosecuting a bad guy. That experience in my law enforcement career set me up nicely. What I didn't realize, even after I initially transitioned, I haven't realized until the last couple of years, like that really set me up on the right path because I wanted to learn about how this agency does this or that agency does that. And how do we come together? In in fact, with international, don't even get me started with international. That's so wild. I was stationed in Italy for a long time with the Air Force. If the Carabinieri in Italy do something one way, the South Korean cops do it completely different. And I had to work in all those environments in Germany and in the, U- in the UK and, and all around the world in South and Central America with their law enforcement officers, which is way different than anything we've ever experienced. Like warning shots, dude. Who does that? That's, they still do that in Central America. So having to learn all of those things has set me up well for the private sector because I've had to look through a lens that's not exactly mine. And I have, to, I've had to be in austere environments to your point you made earlier about, you know, we have this level of paranoia. And so I don't have a hundred percent reliance on a firearm because of my experience overseas. I've been in countries where uh, you have to protect the, this person. You have to go do this mission. And by the way, uh, this country won't allow us to carry guns. So what are you going to do? You're not going to take your football and go home. You have to do the job. So right. my even even here in the United States, although there are times when I carry a gun, there are times when I can't. If you're on an airplane, can you carry a gun? Now, I, I went through the air marshal training <laughs> with, with other air marshals because we were we were doing stuff and joke with them. And so I know what it's like to have a firearm on an airplane full of passengers who may or may not be good guys. And <laughs> it's a cool so, feeling, isn't it? I've, I've done that before too. It's <laughs> very unique. That's why um, air marshals don't, uh, well, there are certain tactics that air marshals do that when the gun comes out, it doesn't go back. <laughs> so because you can't reholster, you can't be like, I'm undercover again. 
No, you, everybody on the yeah. plane saw you. It's a tube, you know? So my mentality in the way I provide advice, all hazards, all risks, and the way I operate myself around the world or throughout our communities here in the United States, even I don't have a reliance on any one tool over the other because of my 20 years of experience in military law enforcement. So that's what gave me the, the tools <laughs> to ask questions and then seek to understand. That's the most important thing that we can do as law enforcement officers, because we know how to do that. Those of us who've been investigators, we have sat across the table from people who have molested children. And what, one of the tactics, not every tactic, but one of the tactics is to get, gain their trust and respect and talk about things in a way that they believe that you're really on their side and not to get too graphic or too nerdy about uh, interrogation tactics, but that's something that we've had to do. And we've had to swallow our pride as law enforcement officers thinking this is the most heinous person I've ever met. They've done terrible things. But you, they still have rights as a citizen of the United States, if that's where you are. And they still have, there's still a process that we have to get through. And I want to get their confession. I want them to tell me what they did, right? That's the best evidence in the world is when they confess on camera in front of everybody, you play it for the jury, you play it for the judge, irrefutable, right? And those experiences and those tools are what have made me successful in the private sector because I don't go into a budget meeting or I don't go talk to finance or I don't go talk to supply chain going, this is how it's going to be. I'm officer Walker. I'm here to, to make sure nobody gets dead. That's not the approach. My approach is now, Hey, we're partners. You have goals. I have goals. If I'd love to hear your goals, here are my goals. How can we bring this together and, and work cross-functionally? That freaks people out too, by the way, when you do things like that in the private sector, because they're not expecting that. They see your resume too. They can see you on LinkedIn yeah. and they're like, oh, and I've had people tell me in business, oh, you're just another cop. We just hired another cop. And that drives me crazy because that's not, that's not every fiber of my being. Am I proud of that? Absolutely. And no one can tell me that I'm, I shouldn't be proud of that as you shouldn't, you should absolutely be proud of your experience and the other, and the others that are listening to this should be proud of their experience. But my goal in that moment is to achieve a common objective for our organization. And that's how we have to think about it. And whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working for somebody else, that's how we have to pro proceed is this is going to be for the good of our organization. You know, I've had to interview people who have done uh, bad things to each other and our employees. And it's the same approach that I would take with, with somebody or a similar approach with somebody who robbed a bank. Let's say, you know, I understand. Hey, maybe you did it because you have, uh, you've got kids to feed. Help me understand this. It's the same approach. And so you, we have as in law enforcement and law enforcement officers, we have the requisite skills. You learn them in the academy. <laughs> we just need to apply them a little bit differently. And with the process of being, I'm here to help and I'm seeking to understand those are, you know, if we can do kind of those couple of things really well, we're going to be successful. Yeah. What a, what a neat experience. Thanks for sharing your story. I, I, I've got to admit I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, it sounds like you've had some really <laughs> cool experiences and I think <laughs> the Coast Guard often gets overlooked, right? It's yes. as a military branch or even a law enforcement branch. And I always thought that the Coast Guard was really neat and was something that as I got older and figured that out, I was like, man, I should have joined the Coast Guard out of high school. Like that. That's they what they my get dad to do some says, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They get to do some really cool stuff that, that a lot of people don't know about. Well, uh, and not to, but, uh, I, I have, I have a, a love hate relationship with the Coast Guard in that um, they, they don't achieve everything that they should be. When I was in, they're doing way better now. <laughs> they're doing great things now. Um, but there was just like this barrier. Uh, Coasties tend to look at the world like they're, they're lifeguards. And, um, well, the, 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 right. Uh, or f I'll say yeah. firefighters for those out there who, who understand the dichotomy. Oh, firefighter you, stole law my, yeah. you stole yeah. my thunder. <laughs> I was, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. As I said, I was going to say they're the firefighters of the military yes. because they, they sit around in their, 
beach gear all day That's and right. play video games until they're called to do something. Um, That's right. <laughs> It's, it's I'm glad we're on the same analogy. page about that. No, I and and that's yeah. one of the things that it just drives me crazy because they have all the law enforcement authority in the maritime, more law enforcement authority than anybody else. So you know we work closely with FBI and custom, or customs or legacy customs, I'll say HSI and CBP, and we work really closely with DEA and those kind of agencies. And the reason why they come to us is because the Coast Guard has the authority since 1790 to do this crazy amount of law enforcement. And yet they don't do it to the level of professionalism that they could. And I know they've gotten better over the years, but when I was there, that's the one thing that, that, that drove me nuts. Now take that. And when I was on active duty with the air force, or when I was doing my, my work with the air force, you can't get any more opposed. You've got, kind of chill, kickback, relax, not a lot of rules, not a lot of regulation, kind of the Wild West. We're out there on the high seas. Maybe we get into some shooting and maybe we don't. To the Air Force, which is everything is a checklist because they come from pilots, right? They're not, they don't have that firefighter yeah. mentality at all <laughs> yet. And that <laughs> becomes a barrier to them actually really achieving a lot of really cool things too. And so I was a, a special agent in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations as a reservist. And I was picked mainly because I was a, uh, I had a job that was very dynamic and I could, I see, I saw the world differently. So they'd take me and they'd be like, Hey, we want to put you in a counterintelligence role over here doing stuff. Hey, we want to take you for three months and put you on a protection detail. Can you do that? And they'd put me in all these weird places that I had to learn how to survive. <laughs> you know, you took a guy, somebody, my my whole career had been on the coast and they put me in in South Dakota. I loved South Dakota, don't get me wrong, but it was like completely foreign to me on how to learn like hey okay we got local cops and then we got county sheriffs and we got security forces on the base and how does all this work and we've got to serve warrants on these things, right? I had to learn a real different way to communicate. Same thing when I went to Italy, same thing with Germany, Germany working with a polisai in Italy, working with the Carabinieri and the, and the Polizia di Stato and having to learn their language, not Italian, but how the carbs do things, right? I saw some pretty crazy things working with the Carabinieri where like they would carry guns in their pockets and stuff like, wow. But it was all the things that laid the groundwork for where I am now and how I see the world. Yeah, that's neat. Well, Scott, I, uh, I want to encourage people to connect with you and check out your, I don't know what to call it. It's not really a podcast. <laughs> Can you define yeah, that? I know, we what do we call that? So I would say connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. It's Scott with one T Walker and uh, you should be able to find me. I've got this. I, I just call them posts. People call them podcasts. I just call them posts because I figured out the format that you have to post video for LinkedIn. And I've got a lot of really great people like yourself who are, have been gracious enough to come on and talk about these things, uh, about transition. And so the, the series that I, I have going is transitioning from law enforcement to corporate security. And I talk with corporate security leaders from all aspects of, of life and uh, young folks and, and more senior folks, people who are hiring managers, people who are in transition. And I, I kind of have this collective of minds that are, we're telling our stories. Like, how did that go for you? How did this work? What worked? What didn't? We've got a, kind of a theme going. So connect with me on LinkedIn is the best way to go. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you being on the show, Scott. And I just want to tell everybody too, without giving away our secrets, Scott, um, <laughs> Scott and I have been, have been talking about some further collaboration and things to come that we want to do together to continue to encourage copreneurs and be those mentors and, and, uh, provide you guys with some tools uh, to prepare you for a transition out of law enforcement, whatever or whenever that may be. And so I want to tell everybody, because I know I'm being very cryptic. Uh, I'm not going to give you any more details than that right now because we're <laughs> still working them out. But I want to tell everybody 
to go over to my website, leo2ceo.com. That's L-E-O-2-C-E-O.com. And you can sign up there for notifications. I will, I will be in touch with you and notify you when I've got some updates and announcements to make on um, what we're doing. Because you're not the only one that we're talking about collaboration with. There's a whole group of, uh-huh. of people that we're trying to br- draw together here to do some really neat stuff. So um, go and check that out. Well, do you have any closing thoughts, Scott, before we end the show here? Only to reiterate, don't go it alone. You have a huge community of people who are former law enforcement, retired law enforcement, military folks who want to help you. Everything that you're going through, we probably have gone through or we know people who have gone through. And we want to help you. We want you to be your best self. And mainly because business needs resiliency. You provide that resiliency. You can do it. You will do it. You're supported. We care about you. And we want to see you succeed and be successful and have less stress in your life. And that's my goal here. Awesome. Well, everybody go check out the show notes for the show. I'll have links to everything that we talked about, of course, including I'll throw a link on there to Scott's LinkedIn page just so you can find it pretty easily and uh, get connected with his post podcast, whatever we're, we're going to yeah, call it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so go to psi.chat forward slash uh, the episode number which will be 019 for this episode. So psi.chat forward slash 019. You'll find all the show notes there. And uh, you know what, Scott? I just came up with something off the top of my head that took me 19 episodes apparently to come up with. And I don't know why I didn't do it before now, but I want to sign off the show by telling everybody, and this is going to sound really cheesy and I don't care, but should have done this sooner. Stay innovative. Love it. All right. (laughs) Take care. You too. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.